Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. New season, season four, looking to do some new things, I guess. Um, I'm looking to have more local topics on the show. So we're going to kind of try and focus more on um, topics that are in northern Ontario. I'm from Thunder Bay, which is in northwest Ontario, but there's some other local areas close by that I figured would be good. <laughs> there's There's a lot of mysteries and unsolved things and true crime and tons of stuff from the area. So I'm going to try and do more episodes on local stuff. I'll probably have some other big conspiracies or topics on as well, but try and focus more on local this year. And continuing on the season, we are still a proud member of the Podbelly Network. Check them out at podbelly.com and all the wonderful pods on the, on the website. There's a directory for you to listen to. And as well, if you're interested in learning how to podcast, there's some articles and everything on there so you can start your own podcast as well. Um, So that's sort of the plan for this season. I know there's a bit of delay in this episode coming out and I guess depends on when you're listening to it because if you're listening to this like years from now, it doesn't really matter. But I was super sick over the Christmas holidays, terrible flu basically knocked out of work for like two weeks. At least it was over after Christmas, but yeah, it was terrible. So that kind of pushed back all my planning. Um, I had to wait till I could actually speak and have a voice and not be coughing every 10 seconds. So that's why this is a little bit delayed, but I think it's worth the wait because it's it's a pretty interesting one. (laughs) So, you know, from the topic title, when you clicked on it, I guess, that it is Mysteries from Ear Falls. (laughs) And Ear Falls, Ontario is a place that's about a seven hour drive west of me. You go west for about, hmm, about four and a half hours and then you head north for like another hour and a half or so. It's far, <laughs> it's pretty secluded um, and there's a couple um, mysterious true crime type things that I'm going to talk about from there. So I thought it would be kind of interesting to do and the first half is going to be about this house on Pine Street called the, well, the house on Pine Street. And it's about this house where a lot of people have died, um, which is weird, that's all in one house. And then that kind of relates to the second story I'm gonna talk about, which is like the most infamous murder that they had in 1958, where people were related to some of the people that have died at the house on Pine Street. So there's a little bit of a connection there. Um, For the house on Pine Street, I, actually did some investigation work (laughs) which was really fun. I tried to track down stories and news articles and it posed really difficult because the cases are from um there's some from like the late 90s early 2000s but then there's some from the 80s and there's kind of not a lot of archived information from small towns online. One of the closest bigger towns is Dryden, Ontario, which is about a four hour, four and a half hour drive from here and about an hour and a half from Ear Falls or so. And it's, <laughs> it's newspaper, unfortunately, has decided to shut down, I guess. Um, they don't really have an archive website, so I had to use the Wayback Machine to try and pull up some articles. I was only able to find stuff on, um, like closer things there wasn't really much information on any of the stuff I'm going to talk about about the house on Pine Street so using my super sleuthing skills I decided to track down the Ear Falls Public Library 
they had a Facebook page, which was awesome. So I started messaging them and they gave me a bit more details. Um, I also talked to my mother-in-law who lives in Near Falls and got some first-hand details from her knowledge and she talked to some of the local people. So it was a lot of investigative work for this case, which was really cool. Um, I was super, super stoked to do that and I'd love to do more of that. So I'm planning on kind of doing that with more cases, more topics coming up this year. So the house on Pine Street. I thought that was like a super cool title for it and it almost sounds like it would be a horror movie type title, The House on Pine Street. So there's a house on Pine Street in Near Falls, Ontario and there's been several um, mysterious deaths I'd say you want to call it. Uh, the house itself is at 45 Pine Street and over the years, there's been at least several people that have died or killed themselves or attempted to kill themselves there. The furthest back one that anyone can really remember happened in the late 80s. And it was a mother killed herself, well, killed her daughter and then killed herself. So the mother was Charlene Rivers. And she wasn't very happy that her adult daughter was pregnant and her adult daughter was living with her. Um, her name was Lorena. And... So what she did is she got a shotgun and called her daughter downstairs and when Lorena reached the landing the mother shot her and killed her and then she turned the gun on herself and killed herself. And unfortunately there's not many details on the crime. I had a really hard time finding any news stories or even obituaries that went back that far. It's kind of surprising. I mean I guess in bigger cities things would go back that far and in talking with the library they did say that they have scrapbooks of old news articles and stuff, but unfortunately, I mean, being a seven hour drive away, it's not that easy for me to get down there. It's one of those things where like, I might revisit this a little bit if I can get down there and visit in the summer or something and take a look and see what else I can find out. But I pieced together what I could from the sources that I had. Um, but that was sort of the, I guess the starting crime in the house or starting death in the house. And it turned out that the there's new owners afterwards and they'd reported that there was a stain on the stairs on the landing where which is where the daughter had died and the stain wouldn't go away and they cleaned it and the stain would always come back so that's kind of messed up <laughs> um, years later there was a man that was nicknamed Frenchy and apparently he tried to hang himself in the building or in the house and he survived so it was just attempted <laughs> but that was you know it was an attempted suicide and then unfortunately in around the year 2000 um, there was an actual suicide well another one other than the mother that shot herself and it was a young man named Brandon Williams and he hanged himself so you know in a period of 20-ish years there's several people that have died or killed themselves in this house and that's a lot for one house i mean you could say that you know it's all coincidental and it's a small town and so there's only so many houses but that is still a lot for one individual house and i think there's something to be said about like bad energy lingering in a place and you know everything is energy and matter can't be destroyed it can only be like altered so if someone dies especially violently then that energy kind of stays in the place or can be trapped in the place 
And so I think that there's some likely bad energy with the house. Um, it might be because of the first, you know, murder-suicide or just some other maybe energy that was there before then. But yeah, I definitely think there's, uh, there's some bad energy with this house. So it's going to be kind of interesting the next time I go there. I kind of want to take a look maybe and see, you know, look at the house and kind of look in in the library if I can, look through scrapbooks and see what I can find and just see like, you know, if uh, if there's anything else that I can figure out about that. But the weird thing is, so Brandon Williams, the guy who killed himself, which I think was the last one to maybe take place in the house, he had some relatives that were involved in the most infamous murder case in Ear Falls and it was a pretty big deal for um, Northwestern Ontario, for Northern Ontario, for Ontario at the time. And it was pretty high profile. And that's the, the second case that I'm going to get into. So we're going to get into a little bit of true crime action from Ear Falls, Ontario. So this story, it took place in 1958. There was an OPP officer that was killed as well as a few other people. And it was one of the most infamous, I guess, like I said, murders. And that one I actually found a news article for. Um, so I kind of compiled information from that news article and from another report. And this one I actually, surprisingly, I guess there's a lot more detail because it was such a big deal. But on Christmas Day in 1958, the residents of Ear Falls awoke to the news that Tom Young had shot and killed his father, Albert Young, age 47. Newly married neighbors, Jimmy and Claire Gordon, ages 18 and 16 respectively, which I find weird, but I guess that's not a big deal in the 50s to get married at 16, <laughs> as well as his next door neighbor, George Williams, 47, and local con OPP constable, Cal Fulford, age 28. So he killed, I'm sorry, I'm still kind of getting over being sick, so I'm kind of a little bit... Uh, behind the not all there maybe mentally I don't know having a hard time processing some stuff so he killed five people that's insane um when you think that it's a small town and when I say small I say that like it's about a thousand people in your falls and that's including a lot of the outlying areas and the camps and it's a small tourist town there's a lot of Americans that come for flying fishing so you know five people is a big deal to be killed a bit five people being killed in my town of a hundred thousand people would be a big deal so this is kind of insane and after you know the investigation and the trial and everything Tom Young was found guilty and sentenced to death and on Tuesday June 30th 1959 he was taken from cell in Hayne, and that was the last execution to take place in the Kenora Jail. So Kenora was probably the closest, bigger city maybe that had a jail at the time. So that's kind of a big deal, and you think that was like, what, within six months of the murders? He went through trial and was actually executed. And you think like nowadays is all the times for appeals and everything, and they definitely didn't have that in the 50s. So let's get into the story of basically what happened. Um, so Tom Young had recently lost his job. He was unemployed. His common wife had left him. His common law wife, sorry, had left him. And he moved back into Ear Falls living with his father and his brothers. Um, and he was reportedly drinking a lot. So just before Christmas, he went to stay with his grandparents five miles away in Gold Pines, which is, I guess, south of Ear Falls down the highway. And on Christmas Eve, 
he visited with friends and family and drunk, <laughs> drunk was drinking very heavily and he decided around 10 p.m. that he was going to go up to your falls. So he stopped to see his sister and her husband and then made his way down to Chris Williams' house where his two brothers, David, aged 18, and Jimmy, aged, sorry, David, aged 21, and Jimmy, aged 18, were partying with their friends, Percy Williams, 15, Percy's sister, Clara, and her husband, Jimmy Gordon. At first, things went well. They were all having, you know, a pretty good time, hanging out, but at some point in the evening... Tom Young got into an argument with Chris and his brother and his brother David was and asked him to leave. Um, He then slapped David across the face and decided to go to his father's cabin that was, you know, a short distance away. So I guess that they were, you know, kind of upset about the behaviors. So Jimmy Gordon, he was a little bit drunk and he decided to follow Tom home to confront him about how he behaved. Um, David Young, Percy Williams, and Clara Gordon also followed afterwards. Now, it doesn't really say, like, the articles that I found didn't really say why they went after him, I guess, other than to just confront him for his behavior. (laughs) When they reached the Young cabin, they went into the attached porch, and David opened the door, and he saw Tom loading up his his gun, his rifle. Um, David closed the door and warned the others about the gun, that they should all run and at that point Tom came out and immediately shot Jimmy with one bullet and killed him. Clara screamed and then she too was shot and died instantly. Uh, David and Percy decided to run and they sort of took off in several different directions. There are two different directions I guess it would be because there was only two of them. (laughs) It was then that Tom Young went to the back bedroom where his father was sleeping and killed him too at this point. And the thing that I found in doing research is they never really said why he killed his father. I mean, he just shot two people on his porch, but why did he have to go in and kill his father unless it was the whole, you know, witness type thing or something like that? Um, He didn't leave immediately. He carried Clara into the cabin and laid her on his bed and partially disrobed her. And even though they speculated that he had potentially raped her, I guess forensic testing, you know, indicated that he had not raped her. Um, in the meantime, David and Percy had made it to the next house, which was Percy's uncle's house, George Williams. Um, when they told him that they thought Tom had shot Jimmy and Clara, they also told him that they heard a third shot and that they thought Tom had killed himself. And so that would have been the shot where he killed his father. George said that this is something that they should get the OPP involved into. Um, So OPP is Ontario Provincial Police. They're, I guess, like state police in the states. And there's no local police departments in the smaller towns. You have the the provincial police involved. So they decided they were going to get the local provincial police uh, detachment constable involved. But they didn't have, because George didn't have a phone, they had to drive there and get him. And because it was Christmas and George had been drinking that evening, he got his 16-year-old son to drive them to the police station. They went to the station and unfortunately didn't get an answer knocking on the front door. So they thought the officer may be out on on patrol. So they went back to town and stopped by George's office um, to use the phone there to try calling the OPP office in Red Lake, which is about an hour away from Ear Falls. Um, which was, you know, the next closest town, and tell them what was happening. They then went back to the Ear Falls OPP station 
and knocked on the residence door this time. So there's, you know, the main police station door and then there's a residence door. And they decided to knock on that and this time they got the constable out of bed. So Constable Fulford was new to the OPP. Um, he had been with the OPP for about f four years at this point and he served most of his time in Dryden and he had just been posted to the Ear Falls um, detachment one month before. So they told him, um, all the guys that came there told him what was happening and Constable Cal Fulford decided that he didn't want to call for backup but he asked George to accompany him to the house. They told George's son to go home and then the rest of them got in the cruiser and went back to the cabin. And when they got there, they saw the body of Jimmy Gordon who was lying by the side of the house. So I guess he'd probably been moved as well. And the weird thing is it wasn't the constable that went to the house first, it was George. So George just said, you know, for whatever reason he was going to go inside. And as soon as he got in the doorway, uh, Tom Young was sitting there and he shot him and killed him. And at that point, D David decided to run again as well as Constable Cal Fulford this time. But this time they ran in two different directions. Um, when Cal was about 40 feet away or so from the cabin, Tom shot him through the window and hit Cal on the shoulder. He wasn't killed at this point which was, you know, the first one that wasn't killed instantly. He was wounded and bleeding heavily, but he managed to get, you know, a ways further away before he collapsed. Um, at this point, Tom Young decided to come out of the cabin and come up to him, and he turned Cal over, opened his coat, removed his service revolver from his holster, wedged the barrel into Cal's mouth, and fired. So that's uh, pretty extreme, I think. <laughs> It's not just shooting someone through, you know, through the back of the head quickly. To actually take someone's gun out and, you know, wedge it into their mouth and shoot them is a pretty horrendous act. Um, David, luckily, was fortunate enough to get to the house of George's brother, Frank. And once again, they went to the OPP office. Um, they got the constable's wife to call the Red Lake Detachment again to ask for assistance. And at this point, they weren't really sure what happened to Cal Fulford. So, you know, his wife probably doesn't really know what's going on. doesn't know that he's been horrifically murdered at this point. But they again call Red Lake to ask for help. And at 2.45, <laughs> Corporal Dick Bender, and I'm not going to make jokes because <laughs> this is a horrible true crime case. He survives, but Corporal Dick Bender and Constable <laughs> George Firth um, drove the arrow or so from Red Lake to Ear Falls. Shortly after they arrived, they found the body of Constable Cal Fulford, but officials at the district headquarters um, told them that they need to just sort of keep the cabin under surveillance until more officers got there and not approach her to go inside. And around 8 a.m., constables from more constables from Red Lake came, as well as constables from Kenora and constables from Dryden. So. There was constables from all the, the closest towns um, coming to help out. And while they were sort of working on, you know, what strategy they were going to go into to try and enter the cabin or find out what was going on, um, a local man told them that Tom Young wasn't actually in the cabin, but he was a few miles away at his grandfather's house in Gold Pines. So all the constables, the police, and everyone quickly rounded themselves up and they went to Gold Pines and surrounded the uncle's cabin. 
they threw in two tear gas bombs and sort of flushed everyone out and Tom came out with his hands up and was arrested and taken to Red Lake before being transferred to the district jail in Kenora. So despite the fact that it was readily evident that Tom Young had committed all these crimes, the police still had to do their full investigation and an inspector from the criminal investigations branch in Toronto, Ontario was sent up and he led the team and they, you know, gathered all their evidence and any evidence and that was collected at interviews that were done were sent to Toronto and Ottawa forensic units for analysis. So even back in 1958, you know, they were kind of doing a lot of forensic analysis. <laughs> so then we get into the trial and the sentencing. Um, the trial was held in Kenora and it lasted five days with Tom Young having been charged with the murder of Constable Cal Fulford. So they only charged him with the one murder and I believe because it was the murder of a police officer and it was the most extreme one they went with that rather than all the individual ones because a lot of the times with you know murder cases when it's several murders when the sentence is likely going to be the same they tend to go after just one because then they hold the other ones back and then if something happens with that first one if it's thrown out for whatever reason then they have the other ones to fall back on so they charged him with the murder of the police officer um tom young had maintained that he was drunk and didn't remember anything from the time he left the party until some time later when he found himself walking along the highway carrying his rifle he said that to the police as well as psychiatrists interviewed him. Um, he said that he went back to his father's house and saw that it had bodies, but was confused and didn't know, you know, what had happened or what he should do. So he decided to go to his grandfather's place in Gold Pines, um, intending to go to the police in the morning and tell them about the dead bodies. The jury decided in the end that they did not, they did not believe his story and they found him guilty. And automatically, according to the criminal of Canada, Criminal Code of Canada at the time, there's only one sentence for murder, and that is execution by hanging, which has since changed. <laughs> um, and even though they'd set the date, you know, uh, for June 30th, 1959, there was still a lot of waiting to see if it was actually going to happen. So instead of now, where you have years and years of appeals, then they just had... Um, they, all death sentences had to be reviewed by the Department of Justice in Ottawa. So they were reviewed on individual cases to make sure that everything, you know, was sort of proper, that there was a thorough reading of all the transcripts, the interviews, and just sort of, you know, making sure that everything was right. And the Prime Minister at the time, John Diefenbaker, um, was pretty much against the death penalty. So he personally reviewed every case um, to see if it was, you know, if the light or if the death sentence was going to be commuted to life in prison instead, um, the execution was a top conversation in Kenora, and you can imagine, you know, if there's going to be an execution in your town, it's kind of a big deal. Um, and the hangman who was supposed to arrive on Sunday was delayed and didn't arrive until late Monday afternoon, which was also the time that the telegram from Ottawa came and said that, yep, proceed with the execution. So they prepared the soundproof concrete execution chamber, which is weird for hanging. I mean, I always imagine hangings like old West days, I guess, where you just have like the gallows out in the town square and everyone comes and gathers around. But at this time it was done in the jail in the soundproof concrete chamber. 
and both sides of the highway leading up to the jail were actually lined with cars as the citizens awaited, you know, confirmation that he was dead. So it's like pretty similar to today when you see, you know, on the news where someone's going to be executed and all the people that gather outside, which I kind of never really got. Like, I understand, ooh, this person's a horrific murderer and there's the immediate family that want to be, you know, want to be there and go inside sort of to make sure that he's dead. But I never really got all the citizens lining up to make sure that he's dead. It seems strange to me. But I guess after shortly after 1 a.m., Tom Young was led to the gallows and he was declared dead at 1.20. He was the last man hanged in Kenora and only three others would be executed in Canada after him before the death penalty was done away with. So he was the fourth last person to be executed in Canada. So it's a pretty... Uh, pretty horrific case you know several people murdered five people murdered a few teenagers a police constable it's uh it's kind of a big deal and it's a pretty infamous case and it's kind of funny because when I was researching the house on Pine Street and the the murders and the suicides there that was how I found out about this case um so you know it was kind of by accident I'd never heard of it and it come up in anything else and it just so happened because I was searching for Brandon Williams who had hung himself, this case came up because of all the other Williams family in there. Um, so most of them are either like his great uncles, I believe. They're all sort of related in the area. And yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a crazy thing. <laughs> so there's the, the start of season four. We're getting into more local Northern Ontario true crime type stuff. I'm hoping to, you know, have some more, uh, some more cases. I've got some more lined up, some cool topics of, you know, not necessarily true crime, but other mysterious things. I think on the heels of my season three episode on the Boulevard Circle, the Boulevard Lake Circle in my own town, that I kind of got interested in doing them and doing more investigative journalism, I guess, for this case, kind of brought it, brought it out. So yeah, um... That, uh, that's the start of season four. Hopefully you dig what's going to be going on this year. There's some other stuff that's going to be going on, but you need to follow me on social media for that. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast apps. Just look for the podcast. And as well, the Podbelly Network. Check them out at podbelly.com on the internet for all your podcast needs and wants and you can find my shop at shop.littlegeekloss.com with all my fun t-shirts as well as everything else you know for me at littlegeekloss.com on the internet check that out as well